Hi everybody, thank you for listening to Defining Your Success. I'm your host Wakastin. I'm a proud Mancunian who's braved across the Pennines and settled into Yorkshire as it is nose and throat surgical trainee. I'm currently taking a year out to do a leadership fellowship with Health Education England known as the Future Leaders Programme. In today's episode of Defining Your Success, we'll be discussing the importance of kindness and compassion in the workplace, especially in regards to the healthcare setting in the UK. We live in a time at the moment where the NHS staff feel overworked and undervalued. And in this time, it can be difficult to look after your own well-being, let alone those around you. However, just going forward, really, there's just a few things I would like you to consider, including the following three questions. Firstly, is kindness to others in a workplace ever something that is negotiable? Secondly, do you make every person that you speak to feel valued? And can you do more to make your workplace a kinder place for yourself and for others? Today, I'm joined by consultant paediatrician and director of strategy, research and innovation at Imperial College, Bob Kleber. Bob is a national and international lead for kindness and compassion in the workplace and how this results in better mental and physical health of staff along with patient outcomes. He leads a monthly kindness chat for like-minded healthcare leaders which is followed by thousands internationally and is at the forefront of the push to improve culture in healthcare. It's great to have you here today Bob but before coming to you I would like to share this beautiful quote that I found from yourself. There are plenty of things in life that I feel somewhat unsure about but working as a doctor and in a leadership role in the NHS in England, I am very certain that our business is care and improving health. At the heart of outstanding care is kindness. Not kindness as a soft and frivolous thing, nor as a state of being that belongs only to optimists, but as an action and decisions we choose to make every single day. There is nothing more important than this, and if we get this right, pretty much everything else can follow. Yeah, it's a good quote, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to be able to better that. Um, le- well, let me put some flesh on it uh, for uh, for you and anybody listening. Um, I think it's really important, and there's a bit of a story in a way behind it. Um, I guess as uh, I'm sort of describe myself mid career, I'm sort of kicking around my late forties. You know, I've done quite a bit of stuff, and your very kind biography. I'm not sure I recognise too much of it, but uh, I've done quite a lot of stuff and 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 learned a lot along the way, and I've still got quite a way to go. Um, and I think there's this wonderful thing that uh, philosophers and writers far smarter than me have talked about that you know the more you do, the more you realise how little you know. Um, and I think that's really true. I think a, a, a maturity and a sort of very gentle few steps towards being vaguely wise, you realise the world out there is big and there's an awful lot of uncertainty. But I think some things get clearer. And uh, I guess that quote really references uh, some real clarity of thinking that I I have around uh really around culture and around our health and care system and I guess I'm talking at this from an England perspective because from a sort of geographical boundary I work in the National Health Service in England but as I found out through and we'll talk about it later through a very international dimension to this work this applies to pretty much any health and care system anywhere in the world but fundamentally for really sort of crazy reasons and it's very paradoxical this is we we're working in a health and care system that has become fundamentally unkind Mm. um 
it's become unkind in terms of the way we're looking after our staff and the way we look after each other. In some ways, it's become quite industrialised and brutalised in the way care is delivered. And that's not to say there, there aren't every day, you know, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of compassionate episodes of care being delivered there's still wonderful things going on but our, our our overarching system i think has somewhat lost its way and i think that's a leadership issue i think it's a it's leadership failure um and i guess what i'm saying in that quote uh is we've got to get serious about it um and i'm really clear on the need to get serious about it and i'm also very clear in my head about my commitment to trying to do that uh, everything I can in that space so it's great to be able to talk a little bit more about it here but I hope that gives you a sense of where I'm coming at from. yeah absolutely and it'll be great to actually delve more into that as well especially for myself coming into this from a surgical background as well which sometimes I think traditionally speaking um, a lot of people in the UK who work in medicine might say surgery is a little bit behind in this subject as well compared to other specialties but We'll delve into that a little bit more as well. Um, just for yourself, really, where did the journey really start when it comes comes to all this? Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, you look back on any sort of, uh, you know, one's life journey and look to parents and family and education and friends and things. And, and, and that was undoubtedly, I look back to, a, you know, me as a kid and a teenager, um, the sort of be kind, be helpful focus was definitely part of the culture that I was brought up in uh, both at home and in relation to school and I think it's something I tried to sort of take seriously uh, uh, on that I think really important to say is you know is everything I've ever done has that always been kind and has it always been helpful well no and no um, on that front Um, but I think as a general sort of ethos around it that's been a big part of who I am about what I stand for about what really matters to me um, the key pivot on this, though, happened about four years ago. I can remember exactly where I'm sitting. I could probably go back to the actual seat where I was sitting, you know, that sort of bit of visual memory. And I was in the com- big conference centre in Glasgow um, about four years ago at a conference focused on quality and safety in healthcare. It's called the International Forum. They're really super conferences run by the Institute for Healthcare Improvement and the BMJ, um, the sort of thing that I'm sure people listening would be interested in, so worth looking up. Um, But I was sitting there listening to two people who've become real mentors of mine um, called Don Berwick um, and Maureen Bigziano, uh, both very involved in setting up the IHI. Don is a uh, um, a paediatrician, uh, you know, now in his mid-70s. Wonderful, wonderful people. And they were doing a real incredible sort of plenary talk and they were talking about really the future of healthcare. And they had a single slide on kindness. And they were talking about the work of a chap called Len Berry. And now Len Berry has done this critical work. Uh, He works with patients who have cancer. And he demonstrated beautifully that kind behaviours and actions lead to better outcomes for patients with cancer. So hard-nosed stuff. And he codified what he meant by kind behaviours. And they had a little slide on this. And I was sitting there listening to this thinking, I've got this wrong. Yeah. I've been framing this as a look I know it's really soft and fluffy but it's really important and that's just such nonsense it's the starting point and I guess back to my quote is you cannot have a conversation about improving outcomes in healthcare you cannot have a conversation about becoming more efficient or productive you cannot have a conversation about improving equity or reducing racism in healthcare unless you have the 
culture and the behaviors that are fundamentally kind that create a psychological safety you can't talk about how you're going to improve efficiency productivity and quality in a surgical environment unless you have a fundamentally kind approach to how you look after each other and how you look after the patients so my sort of pivot was to say i've been an advocate for this but i framed it wrong it is now the starting point so i'm not going to enter any conversation as a senior consultant as a an executive unless we get that if you like hygiene factor right that has to be the starting point it's a non-negotiable starting point around things and really i've spent the last four years doing that exploring it talking to more people about it and finding that tens and hundreds and thousands of people have been saying count me in yeah i'm interested in this this feels really important and actually together we can really change how we think about this and that's been the extraordinary piece about how so many other people have taught me so much about this so i'm definitely onto something here <laughs> and what's rather wonderful is there's a whole bunch of other people on. so anyone listening i hope you're sort of feeling some fire in your belly and thinking you know what i'm in too and in a way that's the point of having these conversations yeah absolutely and it's really refreshing for me to actually listen to you and see a lot of people who get involved in you can call it a battle for kindness in in healthcare but uh, the worry is that people it's quite hard to part out your own mistakes as well and to accept that we're still learning as well with these things every interaction is a learning opportunity for me and that's how I see it and I think it'd be naive to think you know I'm as kind or compassionate as I can be we think back to medical school for instance and I know some of my junior colleagues might be listening to this and I feel it's never really embedded into us. You're told about empathy, and it's that one line you just ask about. Oh, do, do you, um, I, I understand how you're feeling, and you get your one point, and and that's it. But it's never been a real emphasis on it. And I have to say, it's actually quite nice to see now that people are starting to take this more seriously, and realize the importance of it on both patient outcomes and the mental and physical health and well-being of other staff, including ourselves. Yeah. So I think there's a few well you've you've touched on a few really important things. Let's think a little bit about interventions first. So undoubtedly how we train, educate, uh support learning environments for people uh is critical on this. And if you take a good hard look anyone listening as to what their medical training did, you've just reflected on your uh, you know your medical school training and your surgical training. Uh an allied health professional listening a nurse listening or actually somebody who doesn't work clinically thinking about the training experiences you've had in your management role in your administrative role uh, whatever you're doing and just think really hard about where the emphasis is and the emphasis almost always and certainly in in my lifetime of being a learner in the 80s 90s 2000s uh, you know and then in the last sort of 10 12 years as a consultant ongoing continuous learning the emphasis is almost always biased towards the technical, biased towards the transactional, biased towards the quantitative measurement. And yet we know that where you're going to achieve better outcomes is heading towards some of the wider things that really matter to people. So this, this piece about uh, what we value, what we measure becomes a really, really big issue. So what are your inputs? What are some of the training piece? This next piece about measurement becomes absolutely critical because we serially measure the wrong things. Um, and again, um, it's not 
almost that some of the targets and some of the things that get political focus or some of the things that we they're not bad things to measure but they have to logically link up to things that really matter to patients and we undervalue we say lazy things like you can't measure trust or you can't measure social capital or you can't measure kindness you absolutely can we just there's loads of people who've worked and got great evidence around stuff we're just lazy about it just can't fit it fit it on our dashboard um and so we haven't bothered so there's this critical bit that we start thinking about it's what the wonderful julia unwin calls uh the relational so she talks about and again work to look up julia unwin at the carnegie uk trust the rational and the relational we focused on the rational so much to the detriment of this relational bit Healthcare is about people. It's about humanity. It's about connections between. That's why it's the most amazing mission. We've got to get back to that and reconnect with that. So that's our leadership challenge together. How do we really, really connect with what health and care is about? It is about people. Yeah. And it's interesting you say about the, you know, the measurement side of things. And I guess the argument can also be that even if it's not quantifiable, as you said, it's about relationships. You can see it. Yeah. We we can see it on a daily basis. And we're by far not the only people who think like this or see this. The amount of colleagues I have are coming up to me who uh, say how difficult they've, you know, it's for them settling into their new jobs or being able to approach their consultants even to ask for help. And it's just a whole attitude that doesn't really need to be there. I think we're given a lot of time to emphasise on our relationship with patients, but why not with each other as well? Yeah, and I think at the very, you're totally right. I mean. I think one of the reasons I found this relatively straightforward. So I think people look at this and think it's really complicated. I just don't think it is. I think it's incredibly simple. And right at the heart of it is a deep sort of emotional and philosophical belief that I have that I guess thank my parents for and the privilege that I had with bits of learning along the way was people are just people. Yeah. And I guess right at the heart of issues we've got around equity and, you know, a poor history in this country around equality, around diversity, around inclusion. And, you know, it's been a real learning journey for me as a white, middle aged, increasingly grey haired uh, man who's been well educated at the taxpayer's expense to try to really deeply understand uh, some of the deep issues we have around structural racism, around gender bias, around uh, and how how can people like me behave in a way that we are we really look to try and understand that that we 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 work as allies we know when to shut up and get out the way uh we know when to try and show some leadership again i can think of you know with embarrassment of hundreds of times i'll have got that wrong but i'm trying to learn to be better at that and i think fundamentally if you deeply believe that people are just people whether they're old or they're young or they're male or they're female or uh, whatever whatever their gender uh, is uh, whatever background they come from whatever their racial background is whatever whatever it is whatever angle of diversity how do we just deeply value people as people think about the doctor patient and the power dynamic that we set up in that um there's some crazy stuff going on and i think we've it's been a real sort of exciting to just get into massive learning mode uh, around thinking that and, and what I mean by its simplicity is if you really genuinely go into any conversation with anybody with a sense of I value you as a person I really I value your opinion 
as much as I did the person before the next person that becomes such an equalizer for how we approach so I guess at its heart is uh, is some really deep um, sort of learning and thinking around this but to reiterate this is stuff that I get wrong uh, a lot and um, people around me get around a lot we we've got to get into learning mode yeah definitely um, learning and improving but I think trying to be better is all we can ask for and I think if, if everyone has that intention going into conversations how we interact with each other that's it's going in the right direction isn't it I mean there's no such thing as perfection with these things it's about just making things better with the people you actually spend spend that time with and it's great to actually hear yourself on the individual perspective knowing your background as well and understanding what the challenge is ahead I am aware of some of the work you've done and uh, obviously with the meeting as well that you hold on a monthly basis, which would be great to hear about as well. But on an individual scale and on a larger scale, what would you say we can do as healthcare professionals to help? Yeah, great question. And um, I sort of uh, have a great sense of humility in trying to answer this in that in a way, the straight answer is I don't know. Um, but I guess what are some of the things I'm learning? Uh, so, um, a quick bit: the, uh, the conversation for kindness really, um, in in getting a little bit more bold and clear in my own mind, and then I think in my own voice around this work. Um, as I touched on earlier, I found that good numbers of people have been saying, "Or oh, count me in," or "Can I come and join this conversation?" And the momentum around that has just gone completely crazy and totally out of hand. And you mentioned the monthly meeting. So these happen um, on the third Thursday of the month at six o'clock UK time. Um, wonderful, slightly crazy friends in Australia dial in at three o'clock in the morning. And there are people dialing in from 31 different countries. Wow. We have 1100 people on the sort of on the list uh, and typically 80 or 90 people will, will dial in. And the conversations are incredibly rich and there's some extraordinary people come in and people of all sorts of shapes and sizes and the only good thing we do about it is we convene it and we create a space where people feel safe where they feel energized and people can join and that's been really key now what have we been learning and this goes back to answering your question very directly I think one thing I really want to focus in on is kindness and kind behaviors are an action and they are a choice of action so you will have heard and people sort of might behave in an unkind way and when challenged about it they say oh i'm just having a bad day yeah well whether you're having a bad day or a good day or whatever's happening they're all real things and they all of us in our lives have complex things that go on in the background but very fundamentally if you behave behave in an unkind way that is a choice of action you could choose to behave in a different way and we've got to start so that's been a really amazing piece and so if everybody listening just sort of thinks really hard about that and think about yourself and then think about when you've encountered from friends or colleagues or others behavior that's a bit unkind the really hard truth this is really difficult to hear but it is a choice of action that people are making. Hmm. There's context, there's stress, there's being late, there's rushing around, there's someone else has said something horrible or whatever, but there it is a choice of action. And that's a really important part. There's another really hard edge bit, and I'll get onto some slightly more reassuring, uh, safer <laughs> stuff. There's a piece here about what are you prepared to walk past? So we, I think I've noticed that we have been working in a healthcare system that's become so brutalized that we just tolerate 
all sorts of poor behaviours and we'll walk past them. And we've got to stop walking past them. We've got to step up. So whatever level you're at, get one level, just up your threshold. Put your threshold up a little bit for what are you prepared to walk past. So personally, there's not very much I'm prepared to walk past. In fact, on this particular topic, there's basically nothing I'm prepared to walk past. I mean, on that subject, just I'm, I'm just taking it from the perspective yeah. of, say, as a, as a registrar yeah. myself, say... At this, at this moment, I'm doing my fellowship. I'm away clinically, and it's been great to focus and have this time to think about these subjects and how important it actually is for compassion and kindness. But I have that worry that when I go back into my job and I'll just get tired, I'll get bogged down by the fact that I have my consultant exams coming up, you have your clinical duties as well. Put, putting on top of that, say, if it was a senior colleague, like a, a consultant anaesthetist I was trying to discuss a list with, you have that worry of actually discussing these things as well. Just trying to put all that in place in a practical sense. Yeah. How do you manage dealing with that compassion fatigue you might have because you're so tired? Whilst also, a lot of juniors have that worry where they'll say, we'll just walk past it, we'll leave it because yeah. it's not worth the hassle. Yeah. Looking at it now, from my perspective, it's absolutely worth the hassle. Yeah. But how do you get that message to people to to show that it's never really okay to walk past these yeah. things? It's a really hard one. So first thing to say, it's a really hard one. And remember, I'm speaking at this now. I've spent years thinking about this stuff, practicing about this stuff. Mm. So you're meeting a pretty feisty, hard-nosed yeah. me, okay? <laughs> and earlier on the journey, which may be a more sort of resonant time to somebody listening, um. I was less resolved around this, but I think part of what I want to say is to people listening who are eager to get a little bit braver on this and a little bit, you know, this is what I talk about just doing, do get one step tougher than you would have been last week on this, just one step. And what, what I want to try and encourage is there are a whole bunch of people out there like me, not just me, like me, who are in senior leadership roles, who are getting really tough and feisty around this. There's no chance that I would employ you to come and work with me unless you could palpably demonstrate uh, an absolute commitment to compassionate leadership, to kind behaviours around it. It's like the number one criteria that I'd be looking for to try and employ somebody. And indeed, if people couldn't keep up with that, I'd be looking to try and move them on around stuff. So there's a bunch of us getting increasingly hard-nosed and clear about this because otherwise we might as well pack it in and just accept that we're going to have a sort of slightly grim health and care system where people bully each other. I'm not accepting that. Yeah. I cannot see how we're going to progress on big issues of equity around diversity about people feeling included around real safety in terms of psychological safety unless we tackle it so i'm trying to explore how do people like me try and tackle that and part of it is enabling and supporting people more junior earlier in their careers to to who hold the same set of values but to equip them with the skills and the confidence to know that they're not going to have their career ruined mm. if they tackle some poor behaviour um, around things. So there's a bit about us getting harder about it, getting this out in the public more and more and, and starting to um, uh, sort of become more bold on it. The other things I want to really link into is it's really critical, isn't it, with the complexity of our work. And there's people way more eloquent than me that have talked about this, about trying to think about what are the things outside work that can help um, help you to 
to contextualize your work in a in a wider space. So uh, whether that is focus around exercise or focus on things you love doing, on time spent with people who you really care about and who mm. really care about you. Um, I've just started reading a really interesting book that a friend um, put me onto, which is based on a very long longitudinal study. It's called uh, it's called The Good Life, um, but in essence, without too much spoiler alert, the um, the uh, key focus. This is a longitudinal study around happiness, and right at the heart of what creates happiness across generations is relationships. So, uh, no surprise to me at all. And I suspect to nobody listening in, but a multitude of relationships, the multitude, the relationships with the people who we're closest to. So our very direct family, our partners, our kids, our parents, but actually more widely about relationships we have with people at work. But it might be that just lovely, warm relationship with the lady who runs the newsagent, who you pop into and pick up a newspaper most Saturdays and just have. 20 seconds of banter with and things but she's always there and that sort of sense and starts to get to you and after three years you you know end up having a two minute conversation that sense of relationship about place um, about community really important so as we're sitting here listening how do I invest in my relationships Maureen Bigziano who I mentioned earlier let me tell you a story about her she um she had this beautiful thing she started doing in covid and has kept doing where she started to worry about some of her, she's in her early 70s, Maureen, just an extraordinary leader Mm. and person. And she developed this thing which she called her reach list. And her reach list was uh, a commitment to reach out to people in her phone book, her friends, but they might be people who she wasn't particularly in close contact with and hadn't spoken to for a while. But each week she'd get in touch with a new person, a person she hadn't spoken to for a while, and to check in and how they were and is there anything. So she'd get on a call with them. Was there anything she could do to help or around things? But just in reaching out and making those connections. So her reach list, new person each week from her phone book. Yeah. What a cool thing to do. It's such an Recognising that relationships are absolutely key. So again, people listening, think about who are the three people scroll through your phone as you're sitting listening to this who are three people you think goodness me i haven't got in touch with them for a while blame this podcast okay? yeah. get in touch with them. say you were listening <laughs> uh, no. but i mean seriously i'm gonna do the same yeah. and, it, and again understanding relationships are absolutely critical you've got to invest in relationships how do you invest in relationships at work you buy people coffee you smile at people you check in with people how are you doing senior people need checking in with as well they're yeah. just people so Let's get into a different space on this. No, definitely. And I think it's just making that just a little bit of extra effort, isn't it? We're not asking for, it's not rocket science. It's you know, simple things, really. I mean, it's interesting you say about the phone thing. I have a habit of ringing everybody. And unfortunately, I think if I used your advice, Bob, half my friends would be like, just get off the phone now. They're <laughs> fed up of actually speaking to me most of the time. Well, good uh, for you. I was looking for the answer. <laughs> so... You wanted something about voice and stuff. And different people have different methods, don't they, as well? I'm probably less good to sort of phone up and I'm sort of usually... But little things, that little message. And people talk about it, don't they? The little handwritten message just yeah. on somebody's desk and things. So just trying to be quite inventive around it. And we know from the research around kindness yeah. that tiny little things make a massive difference. You don't know... 
you just don't know what's going on in somebody's life when you phone them up and when you do it. and it, you, you you genuinely and it's could be a lifesaver in reality probably not but yeah. it can definitely make a big difference it, it can uh, one of my friends um she spends time to make worry worms and um they're just you know the small little trinkets with a message which she'll just hide around her local town and village for people to find which sounds like such a simple thing to do it's nice to show the kids as well as to what kind of values you should have probably going forward. But it's little things like that that, that yeah. can make a difference for people. Yeah. So I think one of the other things that I do um, that I love doing, and and in a genuine, and this is a, another important word, is about curiosity. So I think um, being curious is an incredibly important um, behaviour of a leader. And there's something about um, really trying to understand where people come from and this wonderful question around what matters to you. So I love meeting kids young people families who I look after and just spending a little bit of time to understand about their family about their background about yeah. what they really stand for what are they really into which football team do they support or not why do they hate football <laughs> whatever doesn't matter what the conversation is but try and tune in yeah. again clinical care is not a transaction this is human stuff so what are the things we can do around relating to people in a human way? And it applies to all of us who work together. So again, people listening, you know, think about the guys you're working with. Who are you working with this week? Just go find out a little bit more about yeah. them. On that note, Bob, what football team do you support? I think we should ask it's anyway. A, it's a difficult uh, <laughs> time. There's sort of this 2023 mid-season one. Uh, bottom of the table, Southampton. Oh. So, well, I'm a Man United fan, so it's been I, it's a good well, week for you. Well, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we can we can settle for a nil-nil draw. Think, so. Yeah, but interesting, that sort of thing becomes, again, in a way, why does a conversation about a film or a football team, or a piece of music, it's a wonderful equaliser. Again, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, it creates some banter. It crosses generations. It's wonderfully transcultural in yeah. terms of... Um, it, it's finding those sorts of things. That That's why I think those conversations work. On that note, and it, um, I, I'll go on to a few questions that we ask yeah. all our guests in a moment, but just one, one more thing I wanted to ask, which, again, kind of relates a little bit to my specialty, is... Just what your views are on a collapsed hierarchy and whether you think it's a positive thing yeah. or not. You see it in some specialties, but what are your views on yeah, it? Yeah, so I'm I'm a bit um, of an outlier on this. And I have, I've definitely, you know, not everyone agrees with me on this or at all because I think people have uh, found a kit. So, but my view is that you need very, very little hierarchy to run teams around stuff now people will say well yeah well, it's all right for you because you're like a six foot three man who's like obviously <laughs> old yeah. uh so you know you're but i spend an awful lot of time energy and effort in trying to collapse and flatten that hierarchy as much as i can um and i don't have an issue with who's being charged now people have said you know i look younger i'm female and things and people just so i, I i'm really curious again to listen to that but from a personal perspective it's been incredibly important. The key, key piece for me is what are you trying to achieve with a flattened hierarchy? And the answer is psychological safety. What do I mean by that? So if I'm on the wards here at St Mary's, on the children's wards, and you know my story goes like this, is that there's a student nurse there who's looking after the patient in cubicle four, and she is on her first day. And she's in her early 20s. And there's me and the team, and we're rushing around, there's lots going on. And we prescribe this particular medicine and we say this needs to be... And she pipes up and says, look, I might be completely wrong, but I think that patient's already had that medicine mm -hmm. this morning. 
Now, genuinely, through my leadership, have I managed to create an environment on the ward that is psychologically safe enough for the student nurse on day one, who's totally new to it all, new to the environment, new to medicine, to point out to this, you know, senior, fast-moving consultant that he might have got it wrong. Yeah. That is the acid test. And can you, again, and, and this is me looking through my eyes, can you really look around you and think, yep, I, you know, every time people will be able to do that to me. Well, if the answer to that is no, then you've got more work to do to try and make it, make it psychologically safe. And I would suggest the answer is always no. And it <laughs> certainly is for me, despite lots of effort around it. So what can you do? How do you... Um, just be more human how do you there's all sorts of things about smiling at people about saying hellos i'm a big one for using first names mm. and not surnames around things i try and sit you know if there's not enough chairs for everyone well i can take my turn on sitting on the floor or standing in the corner and um, interesting stuff on reversing ward rounds how do you get hold of the computer on wheels to type in the notes and get the foundation near one doctor you know just there's some little things that I don't always do I don't always get right but constantly trying to think how do you create this psychological safety so I I think the hierarchies uh, are largely a problem they're not completely a problem people go well how do you know who's in charge funnily enough people have no issues when I'm on the ward about who's ultimately accountable I know that they know that but you don't need to ram hierarchies down people's throats because you want to open up space for people to talk talk about what they're worried about talk about what they don't know talk about what they're scared about so really really important for me i think we should be talking about it more it's complex it's nuanced but uh we healthcare is too paternalistic and too hierarchical without a shadow of a doubt yeah and i feel it's massively behind compared to other industries as well i mean where else do you call someone mr completely and is the the thing about people not uh, appreciating who might be the consultant on the ward and i've had this worry as well so i've doing a little bit of work on first name basis in surgery um a few interesting things about that as well but they say it's about respect you know but for me respect is gained and a name doesn't cause respect really people are just people why should why should they respect me more than I respect them? Mm. When patients come to see me and say, oh, doctor, I'm so sorry for wasting your time. Yeah. Well, the patient's time is as important as mine. Why is my time more important than the patient's yeah. time? Seriously. Yeah. Why is my time more important? It's yeah. not. No. Everybody's time is equally important no. around. The idea that my time is more, my time is more important than yours. Yeah. No. We're all well, the star of our own stories, aren't completely. we? And I think it's easy but, to forget sometimes. But why do we get into this yeah. mode that like my time is more important than anyone yeah. else's? It's mad. Yeah. Just un let yourself yeah. go on that if you're listening. Yeah. Just kill that idea. It's just yeah. it's crazy. So that's there's something really interesting for that. And that's how if we're serious about talking about co production, we're talking about genuinely having services that meet the needs of our patients, of our communities, we've got to try and shift this power stuff. So power really interesting words maybe a podcast for another day but, is, uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah i mean w- with the first name side uh, what i've found in the service i've done all of the specialties very positive about it apart from the people who have never used it before interestingly um uh, most people in that situation would prefer to still use doctor or mister but hopefully things will change with time and that will not be the norm just one question for you bob uh, do you see yourself as being successful I don't think I've ever spent a moment uh, thinking about that. Well, not really, a straight answer. I, I, 
I totally recognize that I've managed to do lots of things and hopefully help a lot of people along the way. Um, and I'm not re I'm not really I say not really. I'm just I'm deeply disinterested in sort of personal success. I'm really, really interested in doing things that have impact for other people. That's why I wanted to be a doctor. It's sort of why my career is branched out beyond just being a doctor that looks after the next patient into all the other things that I do. Um, I get a massive buzz out of doing things uh, with and for people that make impact. Uh, personally, do I think that's a success? Not really. Um, do I look at all the things I haven't done and want to strive to keep doing more? Absolutely. Yeah. So... At the same time, success isn't always about just yourself. Exactly. You know, having a positive impact on somebody else. Yeah, that's, yeah. In, that's lots a of, success, in, yeah. in lots of ways. Yeah. So I think, yeah, yeah. you know, one's got to be, but again, it depends how you define it and measure it. I, I would agree um, around things. But I've certainly not been, um, I'm not wildly interested on sort of, you know, what's on my CV in terms of that sort of thing. I'm much more interested. And again, it goes back to the people and relationships and value, yeah. that side of things. What, what, what do you care about? We usually finish on that question, but you seem to have brought it up so nicely. But what actually does define success for yourself? Uh, well, I think the big stuff for me, I love this idea of what I as a person can do uh, in terms of the actions I take, the leadership I show, the encouragement I give to enable others uh, to fulfil their potential. Um, I think that this idea of being an enabler so how do you create conditions around you for other people to thrive when i think about my measures of team success is you know what's the culture like what's the environment like because again my sort of theory of change is i'm surrounded by completely brilliant people people who work in my teams people who work in this hospital this trust people who work in the wider nhs my patients their families they're absolutely amazing people so how do you create an environment where they're absolutely at their best and so then the interventions might be around things like coaching and mentoring and encouragement um uh, helping to support people when they're feeling low and sad and disillusioned around things uh, skills like listening that i'm trying to get better at i think I'm, i describe myself as being like six out of ten good at i think i've improved <laughs> from a five out of ten but you know, keep, key. <laughs> keep, keen to get to a seven at some point and i think um yeah so this this idea about success being actually measured in how other people around you um can achieve what they want to achieve and get further through your actions and your actions might be around hence back to our friend about kindness about encouragement about support uh, become really key i think that's how i'd measure success oh no that's a brilliant answer yeah and i think it's something we should all probably look towards as an element of what we class as success as well and just with yourself you talked a little bit about the things that have helped you and had a positive influence on you but what's been your biggest barriers up to now in this journey? What a good question. I think sometimes the sort of the constructs we put around ourselves, and I've definitely got better at this. I think, I think I've got better at being able to cut through what are the things that really matter. And a wonderful mentor of mine uh, talks about this beautiful phrase where he says proceed until apprehended and I'm a I'm you know a, a, a good boy I've not you know at school I wasn't in trouble I you know I generally was a, a you know been a good boy through work I, I've not been a sort of 
a massive rebel and maverick but i've been always interested in trying to push different ways of thinking and understand different ways of thinking i think some of the constructs we we surround ourselves in treacle some of the bureaucracies we put around ourselves in the nhs really really get in the way and um i've got better and better at carving my way through them but also trying to create space for others to get through them as well i'm fascinated by this thing of permission hmm. there are so many people out there just waiting for permission to do the right thing so that's why i love proceeding to apprehended if you've got very clear values and behaviors you're really clear about what's morally right about what's tuned and you've got a clear sense about where you want to get to then just get on and go and do it don't wait for permission the whole time so again i'd really again get people listening to think hard about what are you waiting for? Yeah. Just get on and go and do stuff. It's, yeah, I mean, morals, values, interesting concepts in themselves, and it's something that changes with time for all of us, I think. But I think for myself, I always look at it as a way of just make sure you're not harming others yeah. in the process. Your values may change, your morals may change, your beliefs may change, but always have that core belief that you know you shouldn't be at the expense of anybody else yeah and generally it's really interesting i mean you know kids are pretty if you think about how across all cultures people bring up children and things like that, there's an awful lot of similarities around that sort of space so it's weird that i'm sort of interested in you know working with kids um and having three of my own you sort of watch and think where do we then go and lose this sort of stuff as we get into a more adult construct so there's something about retuning into that yeah and, and this there's a simplicity to things and i hope sort of you know a theme of this conversation being just trying to keep stuff pretty simple yeah. don't stop over you know no, there's nothing no. clever in overcomplicating stuff oh definitely and i mean it, it sounds like you've done it on purpose but you haven't but you've led me on to my last question very nicely actually as to what advice would you give to a younger self uh, say 12 13 14 year old bob Kleber in high school what would you say to him i think that one's quite straightforward in a way and actually my youngest is a 12 year old boy so it sort of keep, would be keep learning so i think if i look back when i was 11 or 12 i was probably a bit like you know generally i think i found things relatively easy school easy and you know, I love playing sport and stuff. I was quite good at it. And, things. and I suspect I was a bit on the sort of cocky side of things and life just sort of, you know, zipped along like that. Keep learning. Learn how to learn. Uh, I only learned really how to do that as an adult. Um, and I think uh, I, I, that's definitely something I've improved on. But keep learning. Yeah. That sort of curiosity piece. And in a way, kids are sort of good at that. But that'd be my advice to a 12-year-old. doesn't really matter what you do or what you don't do keep learning yeah and i think that's something we should all take forward as well it's not just for children but i think yeah, for all of us right. really, yeah. Yeah. um it's something i'll carry on doing especially in this uh battle for kindness and compassion in hospitals as well but uh, thank you very much bob it's been absolutely a pleasure actually having you on the show and uh, hopefully I'll, I'll see you again in a few weeks time on your uh, on your monthly talk so uh, thank you very much for joining me today well it's been an absolute great fun and uh, you know i'll never get bored of uh, talking about this thing i hope people listening have enjoyed the conversation and felt that they can sort of tune in and bits have resonated and maybe bits of uh, you know have worried you or whatever but yeah keep talking about it keep thinking about it and if anybody wants to uh, to join the conversations then please do get in touch and we can fix that up that's excellent and i can always get people in touch with yourself as well Please in do. regards to it. but thank you very much bob take Absolute care pleasure. thank you 
Thank you, everybody, for listening today to Defining Your Success. And congratulations to anybody who's made it to the end of the episode whilst listening to Bob and I. Any ratings, reviews, and subscriptions will be appreciated. It would be great to get some feedback, and my email address is wbmdin at gmail.com. I'll be back again in around about two weeks' time with my next guest. Until then, please take care of yourselves, and I will speak to you again soon.